0: I think it is uh, so appropriate that last song that we sang because of what we've been going over the last couple weeks and really the theme behind it. You know, this idea of the church waking up. Can everybody hear me all right? Yes. Okay. We'll see if this thing stays on my ear today. Anybody get a staple gun ready? <laughs> But it's about waking up. I I love, there is not another cry before the Lord that is heard as much as when his child says, open my eyes. Now, as good Americans, we always expect that to be immediate. (laughs) Open my eyes, Lord, and I should be able to be fine, right? Right? But it's process, because God is a God of process. God teaches us in process, because it's through the process that we learn. It's through the process that it sinks in. And that's all part of that awakening. And I think it's awesome that, that God had them do that song for the last song. And, and just so you guys know, that's never planned by us. <laughs> it is planned by God but it's not something we plan. But this idea of awakening, I, I want to start real quick, and by the way, yes, we are actually going to get to questions and answers. As the Bible says, as the Lord wills. <laughs> All right? I'm not going to presume anything. But as the Lord wills. But I want to read something to you. Um, this is just a, a portion of, of prophecy that Lana just put out. I think it was this morning. It was like 1 a.m. that it came out. But I want to read just this paragraph because it's so profound and I I believe will encourage you and and, uh, hits us where we are. Many of you have faced trial upon trial and storm upon storm. Yet your hearts have remained towards me. You have remained faithful to me. You have lifted your hands in praise. You have poured out and poured out, remaining faithful to what I have asked of you. And you have moved my heart. You have moved my heart with your yes and your yieldedness. Now your heart shall be moved by the table I have set before you. Not only shall you receive your heart's desire and promise, but more than you have asked me for. Anything the enemy meant for your harm, I have turned for your good, and now you shall see the fruit of my turning. I am now about to demonstrate that I am the all-knowing, all-powerful God, and I am about to reveal my plans And do what only I can do. It's time for your promise to arrive. I'm about to reward your faithfulness as you have sowed and sowed into others' breakthrough. You are now about to enter the land of fullness and overflowing harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you and we praise you. You are Almighty God, and we are so thankful for your promises. We literally hold on because of your promises. And you are good. You are gracious. You are all-powerful. You are the great I Am. And Father, we thank you that... You allow us to even proclaim your name. And that's what we do. We proclaim your name because you are God and because you are faithful. I pray, Lord, this morning that you continue this process of awakening. Continue this process of opening our eyes. I pray as Hannah prayed, that every word from my mouth will not originate with me, but with you. We love you so much, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to get to this idea of question and answers, but I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with one thing first, because I think in many people that have talked to me, there's, there was one consistent one that I want to deal with first. But before I do that, I want to share with you what is the greatest argument, okay? This idea, and we've talked about this, if you can remember back two weeks ago, <laughs> I know it's been a long time. For young people, that's like half their life, you know? <laughs> two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of this warfare, we talked about the idea of how demonic spirits work. Now, I want you to understand when I talk about demonic spirits, I am not talking about only demons. Okay? Demonic is an adjective talking about the character of something. Okay? A demon is a specific type of demonic spirit. Does that make sense? There is a difference between demons and fallen angels that are also demonic spirits. Fallen angels are much more powerful. Fallen angels, there's a set number of those, okay. And I'm not going to get into, but that would totally rabbit trail us. If you ever want to want to ask me about that, we can go have coffee and talk about it. But um, but there there is a difference. But when I talk about demonic spirits, I'm talking about all of them, okay. Not just fallen angels, not just demons, okay. I'm talking about all of them. And in in my growing up years, in my even you know, teaching the Word of God for years, I, I expressed to you a couple weeks ago that that I grew up believing that that Satan could not penetrate a Christian. That Satan could only oppress, he could only have influence over, okay? Not influence from within. There's a difference. If something's pressing on you. It's different than something being able to push from within, okay? That's the semantic difference between possession and oppression. Oppression is something that is oppressing you, but you're fighting it, okay? Possession is something that has control of you, and you can't fight it because you've given it control. In in the the Christianese that we've talked about, I, I do feel in many ways it's a matter of semantics. Because what we call oppression oftentimes is the control of these demonic spirits. And that's what I talked about a, a couple of weeks ago. But I want to bring up what is basically the greatest argument that I used to use. Okay, that I used to teach. Well, uh, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, and here's why. Okay, that's what I want to go into first. I want you to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 6. There's two scriptures I want to go over. But we're going to begin with this one: Second Corinthians chapter 6. And, and, and I believe in the course of going through these two things, first of all, it's going to answer some questions. Then we're going to deal with the question either while we do these two things, but that the biggest question that was given to me, and then we'll open it up to other things at that point. Second Corinthians chapter 6, start at verse 14, says this. Now remember, this is the argument that I used to use, and most Christians like me use, to say you, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal, or with Satan? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with the idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So the question is, we're told not to be unequally yoked. Okay, the thing that escapes people like me in the past, is the fact that it says we should not be, we are not to be. It doesn't say we cannot be. Now bring into this practical life for a second. Okay, practical life dictates that if you were to believe that this is saying you cannot be affected or demon-possessed or anything like that, then you must believe That once we accept Jesus Christ, that everything goes according to what this says. All of a sudden we're not unequally yoked. But yet we know that's not true. We know we make choices. I talked about that two weeks ago. Talked about that last week. After you get saved, after you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you can still make the choice to sin. You can still make the choice to go against God's will for your life. Right? That's, pretty easy to figure out I mean when we're saved we do not all of the sudden become sinless right okay it's important to understand that but this this idea it says what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Bilal with Satan what portion does a believer have with an unbeliever what would he what, what we used to use as an argument was, was Christ cannot be with Satan. Light cannot be with darkness. It's impossible, which by the way I believe is true. So that must mean that it cannot have control of you. It can oppress you. It can push you around. It can make your life miserable but it cannot control your life. Why? Because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it, and it says right here, what accord has Christ with Bilal? What, what fellowship does light have with darkness? Okay, but I want to read one more verse in this section. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Your answer is in verse 1. See Paul is speaking to the church. Paul is speaking to people who have accepted Christ into their hearts, who have believed in the coming Messiah who died and was resurrected and sit at the right hand of the Father. He's preaching to people that believe this, people that have accepted Christ. And yet he says, since we have these promises, what promises? Promises that light does not dwell with darkness. Promises that Christ has nothing to do with Satan. The promises of Ephesians 1:13 and 14 that were sealed, which we're going to get to in a minute. But since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. That's important to see. See, this goes into the idea of sanctification. This goes into the idea of relationship with Jesus Christ. That sanctification... If it were talking about justification, it would never say cleanse ourselves. Because, see, our justification has nothing to do with us, except that we accept it. It's 100% grace from Jesus Christ. It is a gift from him. But what it says here is because of these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. And it doesn't just say of the body. And here's a tough one. What's it say? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Wait a second. If the Holy Spirit dwells in my heart because I've accepted him as as Savior, how can I have defilement in my spirit? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I wrestled with that one this week a lot. Because what I was thinking was, well, our spirit is separate from our body, which is separate from our will. But yet, I can choose to sin in all three, even after I've accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And as I'm wrestling with this, I'm like, Lord, you've got to give me some scripture You've got to you've got to show me what you're telling me is true. And he took me to this verse. I I I must have read 14 to 18 several times. And he's like, why are you stopping? (laughs) (laughs) You want the scripture, keep reading. It's in the next verse. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit. And what does that do? That brings holiness to completion. What does that mean? That's growth. That's relationship with Jesus Christ. When we cleanse ourselves from the defilement of the body and of the spirit, which is sin, by the way. Now remember, this this is not the law anymore. This isn't touching an unclean thing. Or, or, you know, whatever. This is talking about sin in the body, sin in the spirit. And when we do that, when we cleanse ourselves, when we seek God, when we ask forgiveness, which by the way, that's what it means when you cleanse yourself. It doesn't mean, well, I'm going to go take a shower. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean I'm going to decide to do better. Us, Cleansing ourselves is not the fact that we will choose to do better or choose not to sin. So you've already given authority to sin when you sin. And when you give authority to sin, you give authority to the enemy to come against you in that way. So the only way that you can cleanse yourself is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's something you ask for. That's something that you go, you go before him. He said, "I am fa- when you ask forgiveness, I am faithful and just, forgive you of your sin." So you've heard you've heard us talking about keeping a short account of your sin. That's what that's what we're talking about. This idea of cleansing ourselves is literally going before the throne of God and saying, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for for letting this happen, or I'm so sorry that I made this choice." I'm so sorry that I did this even back when I didn't know it was sin, but you've revealed to me that it's sin. I'm so sorry for that. Please forgive me. That is cleansing ourselves. Because going before his throne and asking forgiveness washes us in his blood. That's an extraordinary thing. It's not something that just happens at salvation, at, at that justification part of salvation. And, and I've said it before, if justification was the only thing that salvation was about, then what does God get out of all this? Just that he gets to die so that we might live? I apologize, but that would really stink for him. What he gets, gets out of it is relationship. Relationship. What he gets out of it is the second part of our salvation, that part where we seek him with our whole heart, where we build relationship. By the way, we get a lot out of that too. As you build relationship with him, you get so much out of that. You you know what I'm talking about. So we cleanse ourselves by going before the throne, asking forgiveness. And what's that do? That brings holiness to completion. That is his joy. It brings our lives to a point where he is happy and pleased with that relationship. I want you to turn to 1 John 5. 1 John 5, we're going to start at verse 13. This is another place where I used to use this as an argument to that fact. 1 John 5, we'll start at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may recognize certain words. It's really important. Man, don't just read generically and just assume. Notice words that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Let me explain something here, because this, this is really confusing. This whole passage can be really confusing. Don't assume that the death he is talking about is spiritual death. Okay, spiritual death is eternity in hell. That's not the death he is talking about. Because, see, that kind of death, spiritual death, every sin leads to that. Even being born in sinful flesh, our sin leads to spiritual death. Period. You don't have to mount up certain amount of sins before, before you deserve hell. We deserve hell with every sin. Right? Right? That's not what it's talking about. Because there is a sin that does not lead to death. That's what it's saying. What it's talking about here is a physical death. There is sin that as a Christian, we can sin, and it leads to a physical death. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. If you want to know more, come and see me. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that as well. There is a sin where the, the abomination of that sin becomes to the point where God takes that Christian so that Christian no longer causes any more damage to himself or herself or to others. That's a sin that leads to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Then verse 17, he says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Right there, that's the key phrase in here that you have to understand. If you understand that he's not talking about spiritual death, you cannot apply this passage to not, this is saying that you can't be you, you can't be demon-possessed because, again, these things are two separate things. Okay? This is saying we can sin. We could sin even to the point of physical death here. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Okay? That's the verse right there that I used and that everybody used. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we, what? So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. What was the greatest sin that would frustrate God more than anything else, else with the children of Israel? It was idols. That's why, oh man, just, just read some of the minor prophets. You know, they, I, I think it was, I want to say it was maybe Ezekiel. He, he was a minor prophet. But one of those books, I can't, it, it might have been, been Hosea, which I can't remember. Anyways, whichever one, it, whatever. But it's like every other word, he's calling him a whore. And it, it's, it's really kind of hard to read. It's even harder when you listen to it. It's like It's like, oh, Israel, you whore. You whore. What does that mean? See, in today's day and age, we don't fully understand what that means. We think of something sexual and it wasn't that at all. It was that you have loved another God instead of me. That was the greatest sin against God is to, to follow these other idols. Now, what, what Israel would do is they would do everything they're supposed to do in the sacrifice and all that to stay good in good God's good graces, but then they would have these other idols that they would also do. And that's why he ends this part by saying, little children, keep yourself from idols. Okay, now we're not in Old Testament stuff here. This is New Testament. This is God, Spirit, Paul, the, the Holy Spirit, through John speaking to the church. Keep yourself. From what? Takes you from the Father. Takes you from relationship With Jesus Christ. And that verse 18. I'm just going to throw something out really practical here. Okay. What's it say again? We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. If you take that verse on face value. Then you've got to believe that you don't sin anymore, okay? But you have to understand that it's talking about this sin unto death, and not this justification. When when we I, I said I can't remember what series I said this in, but remember when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior and we become justified, the Father sees us as perfect. He sees us through the eyes of his Son, who has covered us through this Jesus filter. God sees us through this Jesus filter. Now, does that mean God doesn't know what we do? No, of course he does. But it's by the grace of his Son that he eliminates that sin, the sin that we deserve death for. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It means it's eliminated the effect of that, the overall death that we deserve in that is changed. doesn't mean we don't stop sinning, or that that all all of a sudden we don't sin anymore. And and by the way, I don't think I I need to pull up a verse for you to really see that. I think we can all look at our own lives and say that we sin after we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, for all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't stop when we accept him as Savior. Why? Because we're, stu- we're stuck in this simple flesh. Right? We're stuck in this. So now, when we're saved, I want to get to this this question about being saved... And this was probably the the greatest common question of this. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit is with us, so how can a demon occupy the same space? Right? Is that fair enough that that that's uh, one of the greatest questions here? How, even based on what we just read, how, if I'm saved and the Holy Spirit lives in my heart, or, or he seals me, lives in my spirit, whatever, how then can a demon come and possess the same space? That's a tough question, right? I want you to turn to Ephesians 1, and I've quoted these many times, 1, 13 and 14. We're going to read it. Because this is what I wrestled with. When we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, how then... Can something come in and control? Now, remember, remember, kind of, let's think practically here a second, too. And let me back up. Let's think practically. What is possession? Possession is allowing anything else to control you. Okay? And, and like I said two weeks ago, Americans have a very myopic view of possession. You know, we think of possession as the exorcist, right? Head spins around you know, crawls up the walls and all this stuff. Possession is control. Possession is where we do not make our choices in this given situation, but something makes the choices for us. By the way, you could be possessed by the Holy Spirit. We're to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. What do you think the filling of the Holy Spirit is? It's not just that we hear better, and he tells us, and we just repeat it. See, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so he pours out of us. That's possession. Let me read this, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire it, acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. First of all, what is that promise? That promise, that inheritance, is eternal life. He is our seal, which is a guarantee, right? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee that one day we will receive that promise. We will receive that eternal life, right? But the thing I wrestled with was this idea of of this seal, of what this seal was. And studying the Greek in that and praying about it, the seal is basically the same as what a ruler would use with his signet ring. Okay? Okay. They they would they would write up a law or a decree or whatever it was, and for it to go into law, for it to be effective, okay, he would take his signet ring, they would put some wax on on the the paper, and he would dip his signet ring in the paper. That was his seal. That was that was the the ruler saying, I approve of this. And it is marked until I take it away. Only the king could stop that. Nobody else could. Nobody could go against that. Once it was sealed, it was done. That's the same thing that's going on here with the Holy Spirit. See, we assume, and and by the way, this idea of sealing is to make clear that it cannot be taken away, cannot be misappropriated. What does that mean? That means the enemy knows you're sealed. Right? When you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, he knows you're sealed. Now the thing I struggled with is what does that mean in terms of the Holy Spirit living in my heart? That seal comes, and and, and I'll be honest with you where I'm at on this, you know, I, I, I won't say I'm just learning this, but there are some things that I have questions of, so what I'm going to tell you is where I believe I am at at this point. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We receive immediately even the Holy Spirit's influence. Because you ever talk to somebody who just just accepted Christ? You know, they they have this eagerness, they have this joy, they have this life. They don't even know what it's from. They don't even know how to express it. They just have something changed in them, right? Okay? But then you look at those and, and take a person like that. And there's no discipleship, there's no training, there's no teaching of relationship. And what happens? Over time, they go back to where they were, to where you can't even really tell a difference. So what happened? Did the Holy Spirit not keep them? No, it's because we're kept with our, our choices. When the Holy Spirit comes and is given in salvation, he seals us. That's his primary job. That's the only thing he will force on you because of a single decision. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit was sent to put his stamp on your life saying, for the future, okay, that wasn't saying, okay, Satan, now you can't touch them. Right? They're sealed. You can't touch them. We know that's not true just by practicality. What he's saying, it's sealed until... That word, until we receive the promise. We receive eternal life. Now, by the way, we kind of need to die for that to happen, right? Or, Lord comes, takes Saul. So when we accept Jesus Christ, that seal is telling Satan, they're mine. Right? They are not yours any longer. They were bought with Jesus Christ's blood, and they're sealed. However, that doesn't stop Satan from going after anything else. We see that time after time in the word of God. We see that in Job. In Job where, where God said you could take everything. By the way, even life. The life of his kids. The life of his servants. Satan was even allowed to take life. Just not Job's life. You could take anything but his life. See, that's the same as being sealed. When we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, you cannot take their life. And I mean spiritual life. Right? They are sealed. I promised them eternal life. That is what they'll get, is eternal life. But we're not sealed from the warfare. We're not sealed from the influence of the enemy. That's why today you can see people that are saved and then they fall into things in their life that begin to control them. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Heroin addicts. Any kind of addict at all. One of the biggest ones today is pornography. A person who is addicted to pornography is something where where they have this compulsion that they cannot stop. And, and I'm not talking about those people who think they could stop, right? But deal with it. And, and I'm talking about an addiction, a compulsion. If you talk to a heroin addict, which I have, there, there's no sense in them. They have given so much authority to the enemy that, that through this heroin, they are addicted. They cannot even say no if they wanted to. How are they taken care of? How can they get out of it? It's through help from the outside. But so again, you, if you believe that, that a, a Christian cannot be possessed, then you have to believe that anybody with any kind of addiction at all cannot be saved. And that's just not the case. Because addictions can be simple, too. You know, we, we talk about heroin addicts. How, how, about, how about addiction to food? How about addiction to worry? How about addiction to fun? You know, I know these are, these are simple examples. But when it gets to a point where I cannot make my own choice... In something, I am so compelled to choose a certain thing that I cannot even choose against it. That's that fine line of addiction. That's also that fine line of control, which is all possession is. You know, when the Lord said He wants the church to wake up, it's because He wants them to wake up to the understanding that they have authority over that they have power over that so please understand that the the question about the holy spirit indwelling in you and how can the holy spirit be in you and a demonic spirit come and possess you as well it's because when you accept jesus christ as savior you become sealed but it's a choice to become filled that's why when Jesus, after he, is, after he was raised from the dead and he came back and he saw his disciples for the second time and he blew into their face and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You notice nothing in them changed at that point. In fact, the, the stories go on to Peter putting his foot in his mouth more. Right? Until Pentecost when they're given the power of the Holy Spirit, the literal filling of the Holy Spirit, where their lives became possessed by the Holy Spirit. Where literally, they would do and walk the way the Holy Spirit told them to walk, or what to say. When Peter stood up and preached, it wasn't him doing it. It was the Holy Spirit's power through him, If you don't believe me, study Peter's life beforehand and then study his life after Acts chapter 2. He's two different people. I mean, it's crazy. He's a completely different person in how he comes across and, and, and his authority. That's because he gave that power to the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But if you want the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to give Him more than your justification. You have to give Him your will. That's a lot harder. But see, that's what Jesus gets out of it. That's what the Father gets out of it. It's that relationship. Building that relationship with Him is what literally fills us with the Holy Spirit because you cannot grow in Jesus Christ without the understanding that the Holy Spirit is there to guide every step. That's what builds our faith. I want you to turn to another, another one. Ephesians 4, just a couple chapters over. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward, right? It's the next verse. Now remember, Paul here is talking to Christians. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, if a demonic spirit cannot have any kind of control in our lives because we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, then why would he be grieved? See, I can imagine if something were mine and, and, and it, was, it was by choice being mistreated, that would grieve me. Right, That would grieve me. I'm, I'm thinking, wait a second, this, this is mine, and, and this is happening to this. I, I don't want it to be that way, but it has its own choice. See, that's how we grieve the Holy Spirit, is we've been given this incredible gift. We've been given this gift of life, eternal life, and it's guaranteed to us. But yet when we choose not to build relationship with him, when we choose to sin over that relationship, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It doesn't grieve him because he's there occupying everything and, and Satan's trying to get in and I'm grieved because he's bothering me. <laughs> no, he's, he's grieved because you still have choice. You still have choice to say, I follow you, God. That's the sanctification. That's the relationship. That, honestly, is the true joy. That's even the rewards. What do you, what do you think the rewards are that are going to be given at the Bema Seat of Christ? New Jeep? No, okay. Probably not. It's closeness with him. See, Jesus Christ is the reward. He is the prize. Closeness with him is what we receive. But see, the sanctification is what we have to work for. It's not just automatic. It's not just something that we're given because we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts. And that's that's a tough one. That's a tough one because, see, especially here in America, we're so, we're so tied into what we want. We're so tied into how important something is to us. And, and we don't take the time to let God put his importance in us. And, and, I mean, I did that with my career. It was more important to me to make money it was more important to me to, to be able to control my life, control my outcome, instead of what I've learned now in building a relationship with Jesus Christ and letting him really control it. Man, you are so much happier. I've got to tell you, I've been on both sides. If you could use my life in a, as an example, please, please follow my life the last three or four years, right? not the, not the 50 before that. See, because when we give Him control and we build relationship with Him, man, it's on His shoulders. See, I'm, I'm going to, to Nigeria this week on Thursday. And we've talked about that. We talked about it last week and what, what, what the Lord had told me is going to happen. And He said this church could come together and pray about it and fight against it. But see, I still have a choice. I could choose to not go. I could choose to, well, you know what? Things are a little hot. I'm not sure they can all pray together yet. Lord, let's give it a few more months. See if they'll be ready by then. See, it's a choice I have. I remember Jesus saying to me that these words ring in my ears all the time. All the time. He said, do you trust me? Do you trust me? See, I can't say I trust him and then not trust him. I can't say I trust you and then take things into my own hands. Because if you trust him, you trust him. Well, I trust you, but these little pieces, God, I need to do myself. I trust you with my career, but God this is really the path I want to take, so I, uh, try, I trust you. I just know that I'm doing what you want because it's what I want. <laughs> I, I mean, we do that all the time because we see ahead some plan that we think is going to work out. I have a question. How many in here are God? Okay, exactly my point. So we can't know... Was that funny? We can't know the future. We can't know what God's plans are for us outside of what he reveals. And by the way, he only reveals enough for you to make the choice to trust him. He's never going to lay out your whole life ahead of you. Well, on this day, you're going to make this choice. On this, then two days later, you got to do this. A couple of days later, you're going to be faced with this. Here's the choice I want you to make. He doesn't do that. He doesn't write this ridiculous script for our lives. He gives us promises. And He begins to show us things to guide us in a direction. But every little bit He shows, He requires faith for. That's why, man, if you pray for faith, which is a good thing, by the way, that's the currency God uses in in his kingdom. If you pray for faith, then recognize the fact that you're going to come up to choices that are going to be difficult to make. And by the way, in your heart, you're going to know what you're supposed to do. It's just the fighting of the will. When you grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, you build this relationship through the Holy Spirit that he tells you what you need to do. And then we second-guess that, and then we say, well, but there's this, and there's that. and Well, this downside, yeah, but this isn't going to be honoring to you. And we begin this circular motion of talking ourselves out of the very thing that we prayed for. Oh, my goodness, we do that all the time. Jesus, move me forward in relationship with you. A few weeks later we have a choice and we, we dismantle the whole thing because the very thing we prayed for is what he's doing and then we take control back so again this idea of possession call it semantics call it whatever you want the enemy can do to you whatever. You give him authority for except one thing. He cannot send you to hell because you're sealed. You're sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So then what is this warfare all about? This warfare is about understanding that and recognizing that and recognizing that one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy has been the fact that he's... He's been able to to affect the church in a way that they don't even believe he exists. Or they don't talk to him or talk about him. They don't reveal his his strategies. Well, if you don't talk about him, you won't give him glory. You don't talk about him, he won't, he won't bother you. Oh man, church, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, church. There you go. Wake up. <laughs> If you think a bully will not bother you because you avoid him, you don't understand a bully. See, a bully is not an act of convenience. Well, okay, I see this one. Okay, I'll bully them. That's that's not what a bully is. A bully is an act of dominance. Because, see, a bully gets their joy out of dominating somebody else. That's why the scripture says that that Satan, he is this destroyer that he seeks out to destroy. He roams the earth seeking what? Whom he may devour. I don't know about you, that seems pretty intense to me. Have you ever watched like the animal channels when a lion goes out to devour? Wouldn't want to be there. Unless I was in a cage or something. Right? This is, it's not, it's not playtime. It's not when we get saved, well, he no longer can devour me. See, he can devour you. He can completely destroy your earthly walk. We've seen it time and time again. What he can't do is he can't take you out of the hands of Jesus Christ. It says in John that, that when we're saved, we're placed firmly in Jesus' hands. And he said, I have lost none, and I will lose none. And he said, and even in the Father's hands, the Father will lose none. The mind picture that gives me is, is he, here's, here's my life. In the this, this guarantee of, of, of eternal life is sitting in Jesus Christ's palms, and he's like this. But then the Father is over his hands like this. There's nothing getting out of there. My life is sealed, it's guaranteed it's done. But yet, by my choice, I could choose not to follow him. By my choice, I could go into business and I can make my controlling money that I want to. And I can feel good about the fact that I'll do some church things, I'll be in church. It's not that I didn't love Jesus Christ. I loved him. I've loved him my whole life. It was about understanding that there was that one area of my life that I had to control. And when I chose to control it, I then gave authority to the enemy to come in and take control and to affect. How often do we do that in our lives? I think that's a very easy trap to fall into, especially in America. Man, how many of you heard this phrase? And and I'm going to start stepping on toes now. Hope you wore your steel-toed boots. How many have heard the phrase, oh, no, I I, I can watch that. That doesn't bother me. Boy, that's come out of my mouth. I remember the thing I, I used to love watching scary movies that doesn't bother me. I remember Alex and I used to fight about that all the time. And, and, and then Brooke would watch him and I'd, I'd be cool with it. And alexa would be like, you don't even understand. And then I'd be like, I am the man. <laughs> right? Oh, I, that doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. It's just a little sex scene. Don't, don't worry. It's just, it's, it's hardly anything. It's just, it doesn't even bother me. Who are you to say that it doesn't bother you? Do you understand that's a lie to yourself? That's a flat-out lie. Why well, could go, I, I remember, my parents don't even know this. This is really a problem when your parents go to your church. <laughs> I mean, they knew I used to go there, but they didn't know I worked there. But uh, I was a bouncer, and I'm pretty sure they told me not to be, right? You told me not to be, you know. <laughs> I was this bouncer because I used to tell myself, it doesn't hurt me, right? I go there, and, and I, I talk about Jesus. See, I go there, and I, I tell all my friends, as they're drinking and I'm not because I didn't drink. That's an incredible testimony. God, I'm just doing your will (laughs) as I go every Friday and Saturday night. Why did I go? It wasn't to do God's will. It was because I wanted to make my own choice. And I believed that lie that it wouldn't hurt me. But it does. It gives authority. And authority comes in stages. We've talked about that before. Authority doesn't just come, boom, possession, you are mine. That's not how it starts. It starts in the little things that we give away. The little things that we hold to ourselves and say we don't allow you to have this, God we do it every day. And then those things begin to grow. And it can be simple things. You know, and Satan's gotten really good at drawing us in. You know, I, I remember as a kid getting drawn into this game, Dungeons and Dragons. You know, which, I mean, I know nowadays everybody's like, you know, now it's all video games and stuff like that. But see, at that point in time when it first came out, it didn't seem like anything, right? It seemed like a fun game. It was an awesome, I, I enjoyed it, I had fun. It was this creative, I'm a creative person, so, so for me it just was right up my alley. I got to create this world, this whole world, that people would come and play. Boy, talk about dominance. Yeah, you know, That's what I loved about it. I could manipulate their lives. Their lives on this board. I made up the rules. Played it for about a year and till my uncle came from Brazil and, and I'm showing him this awesome game, right? And see, down there, Satanism is very real and very open. It's not deceptive. And he said, Do you, do you realize what this is? You know, I had I had all the books. I had the The Dungeon Master's Manual, which most people didn't have. That was if you if you coordinate the game, you have to have this manual. He's reading these he's you know these are spells, these are incantations. So now when he told me that, okay, I came to that understanding, was convicted, and boom, I got rid of it. But it's through that process that for the first time in my life, I ever had a spirit talk to me, and it wasn't a good one right it was a demonic spirit that spoke to me and was angry with me because i was burning this control i asked forgiveness for it see you got to understand that wasn't my heart my heart was not i want to i'm saved so now i want to give this portion to satan that's never our heart It was that I went after something that that seemed fun to me, especially at the beginning. But then he begins to pull you in more and more and more. And he does that to young people today all the time. Over seemingly simple things, when we give a little bit of authority, he's greedy. The enemy's greedy. He'll keep taking more and more and more until it's stopped. Now, the beautiful thing is, as a Christian, it's not hard to stop it. It might be hard to stop an addiction, don't get me wrong. A heroin addict is going to go through some issues. But the forgiveness is immediate. Jesus said, he is faithful and just forgive us our sins when we ask. So you want if you want to erase an authority in your life, you have to go before the Lord and ask forgiveness for how you gave that in the first place. Because when you do that, there is a power there. Remember the Holy Spirit. We have a choice after salvation. We can invite him to fill us. Or we can let the enemy fill us. So when we ask forgiveness and we get rid of authorities, we have this advocate in Jesus Christ who then sends the Holy Spirit, fill me, protect me, teach me, help me to make the wiser choices. Help me to choose what is pleasing to you. And like I said at the beginning, it's a process. It's a process. It doesn't mean that by saying those words, now all of a sudden you will not have another problem. Because, see, you have an enemy you gave authority to who is angry that now you're taking back that authority. See, that's where the bride comes in. That's where the church comes in. That's where the wake-up church comes in. We're to fight for each other. We're to fight for those people that can't fight for themselves. That's why God's building warriors. See, there is a prize. There is a prize in this, and that prize is Jesus Christ. That prize is closeness to Jesus Christ. But there is a prize as a church that we can bring that prize to other people. I'll tell you what. Not I, I don't know percentages, but I would say 90% of the Christian church globally has no clue what the prize is. They're sealed. They're guaranteed. We'll see them in heaven. But there's no evidence of the fruits of the spirit. There's no joy. There's no peace. Their life is just turmoil. That's why the church has to wake up. That's why we have to wake up as warriors, because we can fight for them. We, by being filled with the Holy Spirit, not something we do on our own, we can't do it on our own, but by by being filled with the Holy Spirit, He can do it through us. And the victory is amazing. The victory is sweet. So I, I want to ask real quick, because I'm, I'm going to finish here. But were there other questions? Because all the questions I got sent to me and everything else was pretty much narrowed down to what I just talked about. But are there any other questions about that that I did not get to? Anybody? And you can talk to me afterwards if, if you don't want to bring it up now, but... But if it's a common question, I'd want to deal with it now. I have a question. Yes. And I know we talk about this later, but several people have asked, how can you, when you are dealing with a demonic spirit, and they have authority over someone else, how do you silence them? Because there have been several situations where, I know I've seen personally, I haven't been able to silence them when they're over another person, or I haven't been able to silence them in my home or my space. How okay, you- and it, now the, the question is, how how can a Christian, a, a person warring for somebody else, silence a demonic spirit in somebody else? Yes. Yes. Is that the question? Yes. Um, and, and I mean, that's I'll answer it. That's really not on the topic of, of possession, but I'll answer real quick... Um, with the fact that I'm learning. <laughs> I don't have a complete answer to that um, because there have been times where, where I've been able to silence them in somebody else and then times when I couldn't. Um, so I, I don't have a specific answer to that um, except that I know whenever I have been in places of my authority, like, like in my house, or places of my authority, even, even, even times the destroyer's been here. Um, I, I don't know if you recall, I think one or two Tuesdays ago, I, I threatened him. And I said if there was any outburst from him, that we would spend the rest of the time worshiping, and then he would have to stay and listen. So I'm learning that just like you guys are learning that. I, I don't know that I specifically have an answer except that that the training process that we're in is a slow process because God wants to burn it into our minds and hearts. Um, I don't believe it will always be that way. As a matter of fact, He's with his promises, it won't always be that way. So I, I know that's not really an answer, but Great. that's kind of where I'm at. So if... Um... Okay, so your, your question is, and I'm repeating it for the people online. Uh, your question is, uh, if, if you have had a possession, a, something in your life where you were possessed or controlled by a spirit, and then you've asked forgiveness for it, um, how then can you keep that from happening again? Um, it, just like building our relationship with Jesus Christ is a day-to-day walk, so is that same choice. Okay. Um, remember, the enemy does not have have to have authority to tempt. And th- this is something that I think can be confusing in our minds. The enemy does not have to have authority to tempt you. Okay. the The enemy can tempt you, and he, I mean, he tempted Christ. Christ gave him no authority to tempt him, but 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 he had. It, and that's, In essence, he did have authority, but not something that Christ gave through sin. He had authority because of what Christ was there to do. Okay? It's, it's much like the, the destroyer has authority to be around me, come after me, um, simply because the Lord has, has given me authority to go after him, if that makes sense. So So, to answer the question how you get how you get free of that completely is a day to day giving it over to the lord and and something like that, especially something that was a a, a possession or control um, i don 't believe is something that people can do on their own uh, there might be occasions where they can um, you know, I, I think it perhaps depends on what it is. But, but something that is an addiction or a demonic possession, um, that's where the, the church has to rally, rally around people and, and help in that. And not just in the initial part of it, but then bringing a person to, to an understanding of strength in their own lives. As, you do, as you've developed your relationship with Jesus Christ, You've become stronger in so many different areas. It's, it's the same with somebody who came from a point of weakness. When they, when they ask forgiveness and that authority is done, first of all, remember the enemy's going to come and tempt. He got him before, he's going to try and get him again. He's going to try and get him in ways that were effective to him before. But the, the church can, can come around those people and help because the answer is them building that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the answer. Every day saying no. You know, and uh, you you hear the, the phrase in, um, in AA that, you know, a person who was an alcoholic will always be an alcoholic. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they'll always be drinking, get drunk, or, or let's use it for the, the case of possession. Will they always be possessed? No, that's not what it means. It means they can always fall back into that very easily. So, so when we are delivered from something that controlled us, the, the, what has to be built up is the relationship, which is the literal defense against that the more we draw close to Jesus Christ and he begins to fill us in our lives with the Holy Spirit, the more the enemy can do, or the less the enemy can do, right? Because that is where light does not work with darkness. What happens when you have a dark place and you bring in light? Well, it exposes it, right? The light is destroyed. And and so, so it's through relationship in, with Jesus Christ that that, that that's defended against and built up. And and that's where you rally around people until they're able to help themselves, right? Shannon, you had a question? I know that it's been very clear that possession um, has a lot to do with the authority of the individual. Is there a possibility that possession can also have to do with the authority of generations? Um Absolutely. Absolutely, and, and I'll give you an example, a very very basic example is, is having a mother that is, is uh, addicted to crack and she has a baby. That baby is addicted to crack, right? You, you being a nurse, you, you've heard the, oh and by the way, the, the question uh, for, for those online, the question was um, uh, can possession be a generational thing? You know this idea of generational curse, the idea of generational sin, um, and and that's what I'm saying. Yes, now now can it be through all types of sin? No, not necessarily. But there are sins that can be passed down generationally. To to uh, uh, the Leviticus says to the third and fourth generations, and then there are certain sins that can be passed down to ten generations. We know of one sin that was passed down to all generations. And that was what Adam did, right? So, so there, but even that, there is a way to stop that. that that's why uh, Hezekiah, when he prayed, and, and many other times too, they did that with Moses and everything else, that, that when the prophets would pray, they would ask forgiveness for their ancestors that had already died and were, you know, were gone. But they asked forgiveness for what they had done. And the reason why is because it passes down by generation. So, so that's another way that the enemy can, can get hooked into something and, and make it feel like that's just how it is. You know, I mean, look, look at, I know most of you aren't, aren't old enough to, to really understand this, but when I was a kid, I look at the changes in America. You know, I went through the change of when we used to have prayer in schools. You know, I, I, I now you guys can perhaps remember, may, I, I don't remember when this changed, but when we did the, the um, uh, Pledge of Allegiance in, in schools. I don't even know, I don't think they do that anymore. Do you? Okay, well, okay, prayer in schools. <laughs> but, but I've seen over time how, how things have changed. I, I, I was alive back when, when abortion was illegal. Right? Okay? So things change over time. And look at now. Look at, look at how America is now. We just accept the fact, and by the way, even Christians accept the fact that that's just how it is. Well, you know, yeah, abortion, that's really horrible, but it's just, you know, it's law of land. It's just kind of how it is. Well, see, that's also Satan's deception. It isn't how it is. That's not how it is. That's never how it was supposed to be. Even God being thrown out of our government was never how it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be our government thrown out of the church. But yet Satan comes in and he deceives in a way to where we believe in this new status quo. And it's just not supposed to be that way. So yes, generational curses are an important way that Satan moves it from generation to generation. But those can be stopped as well. Those can be stopped in the same way. You ask forgiveness. You ask forgiveness just like they did in the Old Testament. Ask forgiveness for your ancestors. Now you do have to know what it is. And that's the, that's the, tough, that's the tough part. You know, knowing back what it is, what, what happened, you know, with great-grandpa or whatever. You know, but the Lord reveals those things. You can see trends in family trees. When you see a trend that is a, a problem, a sinful trend, you can, you can pretty well guess that there was something that was handed down. And you can go before the Lord, and you can stop that, and and that's that's a really really important thing to do. So, any anything else? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yes. So I know I know I know it's late, but we, we don't worry about time here at Ignition. So. <laughs> go ahead. So the, so the enemies had thousands of years to build their strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we as a group have been called to fight as a group... Uh, you know what? Here, it's going to be hard for me to repeat all these. Let me give you this. So you can say it so they can hear it online. So my question is, and, and observation is, the enemy's had thousands of years to develop a strategy against us. So how do we as a group develop a strategy to fight against the enemy as a group to be more effective, Um Okay. In, the, in the last few weeks, with things that have occurred, a lot of the stuff has been, seemed to be chaotic at times. And how do we fight as a unit, so to speak, in a more cohesive unit? Okay. Um, yeah, you can put it right there. That's a great question. That's a great question. Satan has had thousands of years to develop this strategy to come against the church. Okay? God has had, if you want to think in terms of time, billions and billions and billions and billions of years to think of his strategy, right? And, and so the, the basic answer to that is relationship with the Lord. As we develop relationship with the Lord, he begins to show pathways of how to fight. Now, now I, I understand the spirit of your question, though, is knowing what we know now how do we develop this cohesive way to fight against it? And, and my, my answer is still the same. You know, God has revealed a few things to us. He will reveal more. He will reveal a lot more. Um, but, it, but it all comes in relationship with him. Now, I do believe, you know, when, when Jesus sent out uh, the 72 disciples and when he sent out the 12 disciples, you know, he gave them power over the enemy and he said, take nothing with you. He said, what you need, I will give you. He said, in fact, when you need to speak, I will fill your mouth. So we can, we can presume that same thing that God will do for us. As he's teaching us something, in this case, how to war and have a strategy of coming against what the enemy is trying to do, he will begin, even in those moments, he will begin to teach us what needs to happen. And you and I have talked, and he's already laying things on your heart. You know, now, now in terms of, of the exact strategy, you know, we leave that up to him. He, he's teaching. Some of these things, even questions that I couldn't answer today, are things he's still teaching us. You know, a year from now, we might look back and say, oh, man, yeah, it was so easy. It, you know, he showed us this, and now we know to do this, and whatever. But it's the process of him teaching that is the building of that relationship. So um, the the cool thing is that he will do it. He will do it when we say yes. When we say yes and just, just do in our hearts whatever you want, he will do it. And he is. And you know that. We've talked. Any other question? I want to make a, a last statement about this, then, then one other quick thing. Not more than 45, 50 more minutes. So. <laughs> why all this warfare? This is something Jeff and I talked about last week. You know, why all this warfare? You know, why all of a sudden all this warfare? Why does Satan have the right To do what he does. Why did Satan have the right to do everything he did to Job, including taking his children? See, we don't really connect that because you read that story and it's just kind of, yeah, I had all this amazing loss and then he's better and he's got, you know, seven times or four times more, whatever it was. And we forget the fact that, you know what, he probably had a relationship with those kids. Now, maybe not. I don't know. Back then, maybe they didn't, but he probably did. I'm sure he loved them, right? So why? Why did Satan have the right to do what he did? And by the way, God told him he could. Ooh, that's a a tough one to wrestle with. Why did God let them die? Why did God let that terrible thing happen in your life? And see, you have to understand that God made a choice He made a choice when Adam sinned. God could have destroyed Adam because that's what he deserved. He deserved death. He could have destroyed Adam and Eve right there and been done with it. Started over again. But by choice, he wanted love. He wanted redemption. So that means God literally, and understand these words. These are heavy words. God literally, by choice, limited himself. He limited himself. Well, wait a second. God's not limited by anything. God can do everything. Yeah, God can limit himself. Exactly. Thank you, Beth. God can limit himself, and that's exactly what he chose to do. He limited himself for the sake of you and me. He limited himself because he wanted love, and not just for him to receive love. He wanted you to experience love. And for that, we couldn't be a robot. For that, we had to have a choice. For that, he literally had to allow authority of the enemy because we chose it. We, meaning Adam. Adam chose to give that authority away. God chose love, so God chose to limit himself. Now there comes a time when he won't. There comes a time when he won't limit himself. But in the day and age that we are in, until the judgment comes for what Satan has done, he limits himself. He limits for you to work with Him. He limits for you to build relationship with Him, to give Him authority to work through you. See, in a way, you hold all the cards. You don't hold the cards to your justification, because that was given you. But in your sanctification, in your growth, in your relationship, you hold all the cards. Why? Because Jesus and the Father limited... Himself, So much so that he had to give his only son to buy our opportunity to be with him. That's a crazy thought to think that God is limited, but he's limited by choice. He's actually limited by your choice. He's never going to force himself on you. He will only woo you. It has to be your choice. Because he wants you to choose to love him. All right, last thing. In the wake of this discussion, you know, we have Halloween coming up on Tuesday night. And in the wake of this discussion and what the Lord's been teaching me and teaching all of us for that matter over this past year. I, I, I want to say a couple things about Halloween, because especially young people, I want you to understand my position. All right, when I grew up, I grew up in legalism, and I couldn't stand people that, that mm-hmm. would take a position and force it on anybody else. Okay? This is not what's happening here. I'm not forcing a belief onto you. What I do want you to understand, though, is I'm responsible for ignition. I'm responsible for what ignition does. And I'm also responsible for telling you the truth about what I have learned. Now, we've talked about this warfare for so long. And coupling that with understanding how the enemy works and then understanding what Halloween is all about I cannot, in good conscience, promote anything about Halloween. And let me just take a couple of minutes and explain what I mean by that. You may you may not know the history of Halloween, or you may have a confused history of Halloween. See, Halloween, which is called Halloween Eve, it's not that 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 is only about fourteen hundred. Well no, twelve hundred years old. It was with Pope Gregory the Third. He started All Hallows Eve. It was it was going to be or it used to be in May. He moved it to October 31st. But you have to understand it was Satan's way of setting up a smoke screen. Because let me tell you what it's really about. It's really something that was done long before Christ. It came from the Celtics and the Druids, where they believed that one day a year, October 31st, which understand what they mean by that. Okay, the day started at dusk and ends the next day at dusk. So it it goes from the 31st at night until the next day at night. They believed one day a year that all those who died before them, all the ancestors, ancestors could walk on the earth, and do whatever they wanted to do. And those ancestors that would walk the earth, they would destroy crops, they would kill people, they would possess and oppress. By the way, you recognize those aren't ancestors, right? Those are demonic spirits. And so for this one day out of the year, they were allowed to do that. So the Celtics and the Druids, they devised these ways of either pleasing the spirits or hiding from the spirits. That's where the idea of costumes came around. They would wear a costume so the spirits wouldn't know who they were, which I think is ironic, right? But that's what they would do. That's where the idea of costumes came around. Another way that they would do to control these spirits and and people with this power to control a spirit would carve out a pumpkin, put a candle in the middle which would draw the spirit and then the the power of that jack-o'-lantern would hold them and they would go around to different homes and villages and do this for people in exchange for a cake or for food. Okay, these processes, these, these things that happen, they, these are over 2,000 years old. But you don't even have to go as far as that. You can go as far as a quote from Anton LaVey. Anton LaVey is, is the high priest who wrote the sat- Satanic Bible, who is dead now. Now he really realizes the truth. Okay, But what he used to say... Was that at least one day a year, Christians will celebrate with us who the true God is. You know, it's not about this legalistic idea of not doing something that's fun, it's about recognizing the power and the destruction that the enemy has over this nation. And when you're chosen to be a warrior, how do you take a day off? I, I, can't, I can't do that. And, and I'll tell you another thing. In Satan worship, there are eight times a year, eight nights a year. And, well, there are no little kids except Yvonne, and she's heard this. Eight times a year where human sacrifice is done. The greatest night is Friday that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That's their greatest celebration. But second to that is Halloween. Now you have to understand, these human sacrifices are not voluntary. These are not voluntary. Most of them are babies that were born into this life, and there is no record of them. Thousands upon thousands of those. And then there are also those that take homeless people. And, and by the way, I'm not making this up. I'm getting this from somebody who was very, very high in the occult, who witnessed all of this, who was a firsthand witness to all of this. Well, Halloween is the second most Widely done in that kind of sacrifice of the year. How can we go and celebrate? Now, I think God made it on Tuesday night. It's no coincidence that it's a Tuesday night this year. We've got to go to war for these people, we've got to go to war for these people that cannot go to war for themselves. And understand that there is no loss in this. There's no loss in being able to get together and have fun. And have a good time. And joy, right? Yeah, you tell them. <laughs> There's no loss in that. Because we can get together and have fun as the body of Christ anywhere and any time. But understand the warfare and understand what you're called to. So I really want to encourage everybody on October 31st, Tuesday night. This will be after I get back. We're going to go to war that night. And we're going to go to war. And I know, I know that there are going to be these things happening in the satanic world that they're going to wonder what in the world is going on. There are going to be just hordes of angels Mm. flocking down and literally changing what's happening at those masses, those black masses. Develop a heart for people. Develop a heart for people and connect with the reality of what's going on. It's important as a warrior to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you.